Hello, my friends. Welcome back. My name is Joe. I've been on a break. I am looking forward to sharing with you today. What's causing so much anxiety? Why do we have more anxiety than ever in our society? Is it the food? Is it the screens, those wicked, wicked inventions that are designed to enslave us all? Or is it the way that we're teaching people to think? That's what we're going to discuss today, and I am excited. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Let's talk about emotional reasoning. Uh, As you know, I took the entire month of October off to kind of recenter, refocus. I really felt overwhelmed with all of the products that I was trying to create, working on a book, working on podcasts, working on YouTube channels, working on blog posts. I still haven't quite figured out which one of those I'm going to cut. I know it's not the podcast and the book, so we're down to the blog post and the YouTube channel. They might both get cut. Neither one of them might get cut. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work, but I was feeling stressed, so I took some time off. I did get a lot of emails regarding my last post on the idea that maybe a lot of our anxiety, our modern anxiety for our teenagers, for our youth, is more due to the idea that we're teaching them to think in ways that is actually fostering anxiety and depression than we're actually than anything else. You know, it's not the nutrition, it's not the uh, the screen time, it's not school, it's not college, it's not jobs. It's it's that we're teaching them to think in a way that is actually detrimental to their overall health. And I had people write in and ask me about that. I actually had a, a lot of emails about that, so I want to talk about that today. Because I think it's actually twofold. It's, it's we have this emotional reasoning. And then one of the things that we do is we tend to try to isolate our children from any difficulties. Or we make artificial difficulties through sports, which I'm actually not against. But if it, that's the only difficulties they experience, we tend to we, we tend to not develop. If you want to get a stronger muscle, you have to use it. And we're not forcing our youth to use their resilience muscle, so it's not getting stronger. In fact, it's atrophying. I thought about actually reading a handful of the emails, and I decided to just kind of summarize them for you. Actually, people wrote in there like, hey, this is kind of a new thought to me. What exactly is emotional reasoning? That was the number one thing that people asked about when they heard the episode talking about different cognitive distortions that we do. If you didn't hear that episode, I'd encourage you to listen to it. It's episode 76. Uh, I'm going to give you a summary of it, which is essentially this. What if we're actually teaching our, our children from the time they're young till the time they become adults to process the world in such a way that we're actually teaching them how to create anxiety in themselves? That, that's essentially the summary of the episode. Because what happens is, is if we, we use emotional reasoning, if we use all or nothing thinking, if we use catastrophication, they all kind of run together. Again, I'm not going to rehash the episode. But if we use those things, our body is going to react biologically the way it was created to react. 
which is it feels threatened, so it drops into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And it prepares itself to do battle with whatever the conflict is or whatever the problem is. And often we engage in thinking that causes those those biological responses to happen. And what kind of concerns me is we're actually teaching our children to do that as the proper way to think. And I think the two that we do the most is emotional reasoning and catastrophizing. Now, there's there's not a set definition. Uh, the, the book that I actually kind of spun me into thinking about this, then I was talking about a friend, they define it this way, and they are experts in this field. Letting your feelings guide your interpretations of reality. That's emotional reasoning. Letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. This has become so ubiquitous in our society that we actually use the phrase, well, I feel instead of I think. I feel instead of I believe. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, Joe, you're splitting hairs. I really don't think that I am. When this episode drops, it's election day. I hear people engage in emotional reasoning. Watch them talk about politics. In fact, I was talking to an intern about this just the other day, and she's like, I'm just fascinated with the idea that we can't seem to have conversations in our society that don't end up polarizing. And one of the reasons for that is because we get caught in emotional reasoning. I cannot tell you how often I ask people, well, tell me what you think about that, and they respond with what they feel, which we we can't, I, I know we come from maybe our parents' generation. Certainly I've worked with generations, you know, that may, might be in their 60s now or, or, or late 50s. Uh, 70s, and, and they tend to have discounted emotions and feelings all the way to nothing. But I'm concerned we've swung too far the other way. I feel is not a great starting point for action. Because how we feel right now might change. Maybe you're hangry. Maybe you're tangry, which is tired and hungry. Maybe you haven't been feeling well. Maybe your kids aren't sleeping well. Maybe your mom is very sick and she's dying. Maybe you're going through a divorce. The emotions that you feel right now, the feelings that you feel right now, A, are malleable. That means they can change. They can be different. But B, you might not be feeling anything near these feelings in 20 minutes, two hours, or three days. And so often we we encourage people to not only just act without reason. In other words, they don't stop and try to reason through what is it that I'm feeling? What is truth there and what isn't? And we've gone, we've sold out to this idea that, well, all feelings are real, so they're all a good litmus test to move forward. That's not accurate. Have to find the balance between the generation that ignored their feelings and, be, and not becoming a generation that totally just lives out of our feelings. For decades, this idea of just letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality, the idea that I feel it, therefore it's real, is taught as a cognitive distortion. And cognitive distortions lead to anxiety, and anxiety that we can't solve, that we get stuck in, leads to depression. Like, what if we taught ourselves and our children to question what they feel, to totally accept that they're feeling it, to totally accept the reality that they're experiencing that feeling, but then to question the validity of what brought that feeling on, of the actions that they're considering based on that feeling. 
This isn't rocket science. In fact, almost everybody, even the people that I meet that are the most ardent uh, believers and utilizers of emotional reasoning, I can always come up with an example where they agree with me. Little Johnny's in third grade. Somebody shakes up his soda. Actually, I'll tell you a different story. Little Joe was in eighth grade. Another Joe shakes up his his RC Cola, which cost $1.50 at the school store, so that when Little Joe opens it, the soda sprays out all over the place, and he loses half of it. So Little Joe gets mad at the other Joe and shoves him and hits him. And everyone's like, well, that's wrong. It was wrong. I did get a one-day suspension for that. I think a one-day suspension. But why is it wrong? I felt it. I felt the anger. I didn't have a lot of money when we were kids. Getting a soda was a treat. Or as they say here in the Midwest, in the Great Lakes region, pop. Why was it wrong? I felt it. I, I truly felt that anger. I felt that pain. Here's the problem with emotional reasoning. I cannot tell you how many couples we watch who end up just getting destroyed and blown up because they engage in emotional reasoning about how they feel. And we become myopic in that feeling in that that's the only possible interpretation. How many times have you had a thought about an action or a behavior that once you left that emotional state, you're like, well, that behavior wouldn't be good. That behavior wouldn't be what I wanted to do. This is the problem with emotional reasoning. And we're at a place where if I feel it, it's true. So if I feel that Donald Trump is trying to kill people, it's true. If I feel that whoever the Democratic candidate's going to be in 2020 is trying to kill people, it's true. If I feel that what you said was intended to be hurtful, then it is, even if it wasn't. And we get caught in emotional reasoning and it spins us out. Now think about this. The holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving is just a few weeks away from when this episode will drop. And think about how often you allow emotional reasoning to interpret what's going on at your family's Thanksgiving whatever. Your sister-in-law says something. Or your kids act up and your sister-in-law's kids are, are good, behaving well. Well, she must be judging me. Well, how do you know? Well, I just feel it. Well, that's not actually very good reasoning. And there is a reason that we were given the ability to critically think about what we feel, to, to ponder our reasons and think them through. Because emotions aren't the most trustworthy of avenues. I don't want you to ignore them. I don't want you to pretend that they don't exist. But at the same time, we have to move away from, I feel it, so it's true. I can't tell you how many times people have done things and we'll be talking about, like, well, why did you choose that path? Well, I just felt, well, that's not a very good reason. That's not using good critical thinking skills. Our critical thinking skills are about more than why we should like a play or a movie or a book. They're about what we should do with our lives. People who do things of extraordinary value or people who just do things and you sit back, you're like, how do they do that? I guarantee you one of the ways that they accomplish the things that they accomplish is they don't give in to the idea of how they feel. You have to be able to challenge how you feel. You have to accept it. Take it in. So, so you just go through the Ds. The first one, detect what you're feeling. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? 
What are you experiencing? And that's fine. You go through all that and you accept that that's what you're experiencing. That's what you're feeling. That's what you're thinking. Detect how you're interpreting those things. How are you assigning meaning and value to them? And what is that meaning and value? This is all part of detecting what's going on. When you're sitting at the dining room table in just a few weeks for your Thanksgiving meal and your brother-in-law says something that you're like, did he really just say that? Or your father-in-law, your mother-in-law, your mom or your dad, whoever it is, your husband, your wife. What is it that you believe? What is the meaning that you attach to that? And how did you come to that meaning? That's detection, detecting what's going on. After we detect what's going on, we have to debate it. And this is where we start to ask ourselves, is what I'm feeling legitimate? What are the facts to support what I'm feeling? What are the facts facts that support what I believe about what's going on? Will acting out of this belief actually put me in danger? Will acting out of this belief actually move me towards the person I want to be? Am I actually in danger just because I feel like I'm in, in danger? These are hard questions that you have to ask yourself in the detection phase because cognitive distortions run together and once we're caught in emotional reasoning, we tend to catastrophize. We tend to think that the worst possible thing that could happen will happen and we offer up our emotional reasoning as the proof for why it will happen, which is circular reasoning. What scares me about this, and I imagine by now you're picking up on this, is for for a long time this was considered cognitive distortion, which means it was considered a, a manner that we don't want to think, a way that we don't want to engage. We're currently teaching our kids to intentionally think this way. That terrifies me, and quite frankly, I feel like it ought to terrify you. Get to a place where we can appreciate and accept the experience of a feeling and at the same time question it. Because that's how we get to mental and emotional health that is encompassing, that is full, that is the better place to live. So how do we get there? Well, obviously we need to ask ourselves some questions. I believe you can truly, fully experience a feeling and at the same time you can question it. So we start out with What's going on? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What are my senses telling me? What's happening? What's the event that is occurring? This is the first question. What's going on? And then we continue with what am I thinking and what am I feeling? And a lot of times people, when I work through this with clients, a lot of times people are like, well, I'm not thinking anything. I'm just feeling. And and that is actually probably one of the biggest uh, cognitive restructurings that we have to do is the is we have to get to the place where we accept and believe and realize that feelings only come after we've had a thought. Our feelings only come after we've had a thought. So not only do we need to know what's going on, we need to ask ourselves, what do I feel about what's going on? And what am I thinking about what's going on? Looking to just identify facts here. What's going on inside of me, inside of my heart, inside of my emotions, inside of my feelings, and what's going on inside of my head. We're just trying to identify the the situation as it exists. We're looking for facts here. We identify the facts. We want to debate them. We want to ask ourselves, what is it that is truth here? What is it that might be interpretation? Because interpretation is subjective. It's one of the reasons that I always encourage my couples not to argue through text. People tend to read 
emotion into the text and it isn't always accurate. And so we're looking for accuracy. We're looking to kind of debate what's going on in our first questions about what we're thinking and what we're feeling. Now, you don't have to debate the feeling. You experienced it. You had it. But you can debate both your your experience as far as what do you think's going on because there are times that we're wrong. If you don't believe me, talk to anybody in law enforcement who has to uh, ident- who has to interview people who are eyewitnesses. They often get different stories. And so as you look for what's going on, we look for truth, we look for falsehoods. We look for things that we control and things that we don't control. Maybe our feeling is anxiety and our uh, emotion is, is in that place as well. And what we're doing is we're focusing on the things that we don't control rather on the things that we do control that might lead us to feel better about what's going on, thus reducing our anxiety. Right? So we're, we're looking for truth, falsehoods, things that we control, things that we don't control. What are facts versus what I think are facts? That's a great one. One of our six rules of communication, which you've heard, is facts only. And a lot of times when I, I teach that to people, I talk to them about there is a difference between what you know you could testify to in court and what you think you know. And often we just skip that over that step. It comes to our brain and we get caught in this emotional place and, and we feel like we're stuck when really we're stuck in kind of a, a prison of our own making if we were to engage the reality that our interpretation could be wrong, we might be able to actually move forward into a, a better place emotionally. This leads directly to our next step, which is what's a better way to think about this? How might we alter our thinking about what happened? Now, sometimes there's nothing like, okay, somebody walks up to you and they unleash a pile of vile and toxic words. Well, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do about that, but you don't have to stay engaged to that person. You can remove yourself from the situation, even if it's temporary. I was talking to a woman one time who told me that her entire 10 hours before she had come to see me from when she left her husband was very difficult because he had unleashed a torrent of mean words to her. And I told her, I said, look, him saying those mean words is not acceptable. That's not okay. But the fact that it ran around in your brain for 10 hours, you control. Yes, it's hard, but you control it. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But nonetheless, we still control what we think about. It's kind of like right now, look at the white door. Don't look at the white door. Don't look at the white door. Stop thinking about the white door. Don't look about the white door. Don't think about the white door. Stop thinking about the white door. Don't look at the white door. Why are you thinking about a white door? You're not even near white door. Why are you thinking about a white door? Stop thinking about a white door. Don't think about the white door. What are you thinking about when you do that? Of course, you're thinking about the white door. Most of the time, that's what people do when they when they identify a thought that they don't want to think about. They kind of spend a lot of time telling themselves to not think about the, the thought. And what we want to do is this is the third step. We want to we want to diffuse this. We want to actually move to a place where we start asking ourselves some new questions. What's a new way that I can think about this? What are some actions that I could take that would change my thoughts or move my thoughts from obsessing about this thing that is causing me distress and anxiety to something that is healthier? And then I want to think about that thing. I want to take my thought. And I don't want to tell myself, stop thinking about this. I want to move to a, a different thought, a new thought that is different. Now, sometimes you can actually do this. My wife uh, is, uh, I call her the wizard of West Michigan when it comes to mental health. 
because she's just amazing. She's on a six-week waiting list as of the recording of this episode. So if you want to get into her, you need to call 616-481-3784 right now. And when the voice picks up, dial 101 and get your name on the waiting list because there's going to be a wait. Uh, but she'll tell, she'll tell clients, okay, ask yourself some hard questions. Like, what is it that I'm afraid of? What is this fear that is, is running around inside of me? And then ask yourself an even better question, how likely is that to happen? Right, so I know people who, uh, I know a person, I should say, who got in a car wreck when she was 16. Um, so she stopped driving. She's never driven. She's, she's almost in her late 50s now. But she'll ride in a car. So she never got her driver's license because it was dangerous to be in a car, but she'll ride in a car. That's, that, that is irrational thinking. And one of the things that has happened in our society, because we have blatantly embraced the idea of feelings get to drive everything. I feel it, therefore it is. It, we don't actually call thinking that's irrational, irrational anymore because we're afraid people's feelings might be hurt. That's insanity. That is literally insanity. We can't debate our feelings. We're slaves to them. So we start out with trying to understand what is going on in my feelings. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I seeing? What's going on? What's happening? How do I feel about it? What are my emotions out of that? And then we're going to kind of start looking for truths. Maybe I'm misinterpreting it. Are there other ways to see what's going on that's going on? We're going to look for falsehoods. Is there something that's inaccurate here? Is there something that's an interpretation versus something that is a fact? Is there something that is a, a it's an interpretation of what I'm seeing. It's not actually what I'm seeing because our interpretations are the most vulnerable to being wrong. What do I control in this? What do I not control in this? And then what's a new way to look at this? This is where my wife's question comes in. Maybe how, how likely is what I am afraid is going to happen? How likely is it to happen? Uh, what could I do to prevent it from happening? How do I embrace the difficulty of life while at the same time looking to make it easier without being upset when it isn't easy? That's one of the biggest conundrums that I think some of my clients face is that they want life to be easy, which I get. I do too. And at the same time, we have to accept that life is hard. And so while we accept that life is hard, we have to embrace that life is hard. While we do that, we can also look for ways to make it easier. Yeah, I think life should be hard, but I drive when I have to go places. I don't walk 28 miles a day, right? I, I, I do different things to make life easier. And at the same time, life it's okay that life is hard, that life is difficult. Sometimes that's the, that's the thought process that we have to change. We have to change our expectations. I was just recently talking to a couple, ran into them at a coffee shop. I do a lot of work at different coffee shops and, and, and they were in a bad place and we were good. They actually recognized me. It's a long story, but anyhow, we got to talking and, uh, they said to me, the husband said to me, he said, I just don't know how we can go from where we're at to a healthy place. And I said, well, that's easy. It's just really hard. Wait, that, that doesn't make sense. It's true because it's probably that simple. It's just really difficult. There's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of difficulty involved. There's a lot of challenge. But if they could get to the place where they change their mind about what difficult, what challenge, what hard means, they probably have a better chance of achieving mental and emotional health 
because now they're able to look at their feelings, hold that in one hand, and look at what they're thinking and hold that in their right hand and realize that what happens in the feelings hand almost always follows what happens in the thinking hand. And they can work on their thinking. They can change their thinking. They can approach their thinking. All right, thanks so much for listening. Welcome back uh, to the podcast. I am going to be making some changes in the future. I'm not quite sure what they're going to look like. Uh, I am going to go to more of a season approach uh, for my podcast so that I have some time. I'm trying to protect my time. I'm trying to best understand how I can help the most people uh, and still feel like I'm in a good place mentally and emotionally. Um, I did have a few medical things going on this month that I was able to work through. Nothing serious, but still enough that I, I think it was affecting my uh, ability to produce. And so going forward, we are going to, I am going to be planning on having a uh, podcast episode every week from here to the end of the year and rolling right into spring with maybe a little break in February uh, so that my wife and I can enjoy some time together. We'll figure that out. Uh, you can always keep up to date at joemartino.com. If you're on Facebook and you'd like to find us there, facebook.com forward slash joemartinocounseling. Pretty much all of my announcements get there. Uh, we have toyed with the idea of a mailing list, an email list. joemartino.com, that is my webpage. It does get updated with a blog post irregularly currently. That's probably going to go to about two times a month. I'm trying to find the best way to get information out to people, help people out, and at the same way, at the same time, not be intrusive into their life. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.